You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And just like that, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. Hey, it's Thursday morning now. It's November 11th. I say that with such an anticipatory tone because that means we got week 11, just about 48 hours away, or alternate view, if you believe in Maction, we're already underway. And the Ramen Noodle Express is already underway this week, and we're already 1-0 this week, and it just feels good. Can we just celebrate the good times? I feel like we as a show do that plenty, but maybe we as a society do not. So that's my contribution this morning. I said what I said. I hope you heard every word. This is a mailbag. It is an ultra successful mailbag. These are our most popular podcast episodes for obvious reasons, because these are the episodes that are podcast exclusive. Every Tuesday morning, every Thursday morning, you can hit me up at Lake Kick Josh on Twitter and Instagram, submit questions. We deliver as many answers as possible here. Of course, goes without saying at this point, but I'm going to anyway. All the things you would want in a college football podcast. None of the stuff you don't want in a college football podcast. It's been a while since I sort of gave the ethos of the show. So sometimes I have to clarify because I know sometimes you guys get off the beaten path or maybe you get on the main roads, you know, the roads we grew up watching and you find stuff laced throughout the programming that you're really not interested in. Or maybe you just outright are turned off by none of that here. You're safe. It's a safe space. These are safe spaces you can actually believe in. So let's dive into just some college football and maybe a pinch extra, but the good kind of extra this morning. We got a lot of good stuff here. We got some Dan Mullen stuff about some job comparison and whether he will or won't be back. And if he isn't back, then what kind of job is Florida? I'm going to get to that. I'm going to lead it off in just a second with that. But Jeremy asked a question that I'm going to bump right to the front of the queue because it won't take long to answer. But it's interesting, and I never knew that anyone picked up on this. But I'll read his question, and I'll give you the answer. He said, why do you always say we, even though it's a solo show? Example, we talked about this. Example, we are headed to Waco, Texas for the Renaissance Tour Saturday. Is there a version of the show with a co-host that I'm missing? Or is there a reason why you keep saying we instead of I? Jeremy, these are very good observational skills. Yes, I do say we. And there's a simple reason for it. The next show that I truly execute solo will be the first show that I've ever executed solo. The way that I think about that, and the way I learned it a long time ago by observing people way better than me who do this, is I fail, we succeed. That's teamwork, is what that is. But in this particular industry, just because you don't see them, doesn't mean they're not there. I know we joke around sometimes about Director Colin, and some of you like to ask, is that even a real person? And I'll play back and forth with you. Yeah, he is a real person. He is very real. Producer Jesse, we just got him on board. He is very real. Producer Jordan, who I will send this file to right after I get done recording. He is very real. They do stuff that I neither have the time to do nor have the technical proficiency to do. Combine that with AJ, who I've rarely mentioned on this show, but who does a whole lot for the show via our social media channels, 24-7 Sports, and also really doing a lot for me personally, even though it's not his job. There's not an episode of this podcast or an episode of Late Kick Live that ever would have had a prayer of getting off the ground if not for those folks. And so it's never I, it's we. Good quote that I learned to live life by, professionally and personally a long time ago, is I fail, we succeed. 
And that means, number one, if you try and do it on your own, then you'll fail. Whereas if you utilize the people around you and let them help you because they want to, especially in this case, then you can succeed. But also, it's a way that I can tell the coaches that are going to make it. One of the hallmarks of listening to successful people, coaches and otherwise, is that's how they talk. When something's going well, they deflect praise around the entire organization. We, we, we. When something goes terribly wrong, they consolidate the blame. I, I, I. Nick Saban's the best in the business at this. We do this. We do that. We did this. We did that. But then when they lose, I've got to do something. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. It's leadership. You want to be in charge? You want to be the head coach? You want your name to be in the title of the show? Then that comes with additional responsibility that not everyone else has to incur. But also at its core, the reason I say we so much, and half the time this is the context, is because of the way that we mapped the show out a long time ago. (laughs) There's the we. Uh, The way we mapped the show out a long time ago is I modeled it after the same thing I would do every day. And I've told this story many times. I'm not going to retell it this morning, but I used to go to lunch back when I worked at the fabric house and I would go over to Clearview Barbecue and I would eat with buddies. And, you know, we'd talk about college football and I just kept that as a vision of how a show should sound. And I knew I was going to host solo one day. It's been the way that I wanted to do it for a while. But I realized you still got to have the community dynamic. And there's no reason you have to sacrifice that just because you happen to be the one sitting at the desk. And just because you happen to have one microphone in here for you, that doesn't mean that the audience is not a part of the show. It is your show. If you'll notice, the rest of this podcast will consist of you bringing the questions. If you'll notice, the reason we have Academy Sports and Outdoors on board is because you keep patronizing them and going above and beyond to help out the show because you feel a sense of ownership to it, which you should because it is your show. Those sorts of things don't happen if it's I. It happens if it's we. So again, as I tell you every week, I appreciate it. But Jeremy, to answer the question, it's very intentional when I say that. That's not just a random choice of words that I don't choose until I arrive at it mid-sentence. Yes, it is we. And Jeremy, FYI, you are included in we. All righty, some football stuff to talk about here. Got a couple of questions. I'm going to combine them into one. First off, it was early. That's the name. Uh, He did get it in very early, so that's why he gets to lead us off here. He said, Will Dan Mullen be the head coach next year if they win out? Talking, obviously, about Florida head coach Dan Mullen here. And I I tend to lean yes. Their remaining schedule, for those unfamiliar, it is Samford, and then they got Missouri and FSU. I think that's in order. I clearly don't have it pulled up in front of me. Look, here's where I am. Where I am, until I know otherwise, is I've got to believe if he made those moves the other night, firing the assistant coaches. Clearly, we have to believe that that was precipitated by him being told he's got to do something. Now, normally when that's the context, the context is you need to do something or else it's you. And so by default, him making those moves at least temporarily staves off whatever axe was immediately going to come down on him. Now, early the question is, if he wins the remainder of his games this year, is he going to be fired? Well, the only way that he wins the remainder of his games and then is fired anyway is if it's imminent. And that means if it's already been decided right now, or to put a better point on it, if we get to the end of the year, we end up saying something like, well, in retrospect, we didn't know it at the time, but after that South Carolina loss, his fate was sealed. Turns out it didn't matter what he did the rest of the year. Now, do we believe that's the current reality? The reason logic would tell me no is because he just made staff moves. And like I said, normally staff moves are born out of someone warning you, you better do something or else it's you. And so if you've done the something, normally if you do everything right from there on out, you don't get in trouble. 
You may have to, you know, do better in the future, but maybe you don't get outright fired. So early, my tentative, and it's very tentative. I have no strong feeling on this. My tentative feel is if they were to go 3-0 and and win the remainder of their games, which they'll be favored in, then yeah, I think he'd be back. Certainly not a lot of confidence, as you can tell in the tone of my voice. I also don't endorse that. That is not my personal feel about how Florida should handle things. There's a point of no return that you get to, or at least a point of very diminishing returns, and I think Florida's past that point now. Which leads us to Hugh's question, and he said, at what point is a complete overhaul required at Florida? Mullen has put a bandage on the issue, but is that enough, or is it just pushing a tough decision further down the road? That's it. Bullseye. That's what's happening right now. If you do allow Mullen to continue there, that's what you're doing. You're just pushing a decision that's going to have to be made further down the road. As I've stated many times during this process, and those of you who listen to the podcast or have watched the show for any length of time know I don't do the hot seat stuff. It's not my thing. When jobs are open, I talk about them a lot. I am not a fan leading up to it of calling for people's jobs. Just not a fan of it. Just because you're a coach and you make a lot of money doesn't immunize you, in my opinion, from that personal philosophy I have. I don't like calling for people's jobs. So the only time I do it in sports, college football included, is when I think we have reached a point where there is no more ability to salvage the issue or salvage the situation. I think we're there at Florida. Clearly, my opinion on this has shifted just in the last few weeks. Up until two or three weeks ago, I was on the other side of this. Only because, as I tell you a lot, I'll be the last person in all likelihood to call for a change. Because I always hang on until the very, very, very end till I can clearly tell, nope, there's no way this gets salvaged. Well, even I'm there now. I don't think it gets salvaged. So at that point... I adopt the what will be done eventually needs to be done immediately sort of mentality. And Hugh is asking, at what point is a complete overhaul required? Well, here's the catch-22. Even though I'm calling for change there, I don't think a complete overhaul is needed. These major programs, more times than not, what it actually is, is not a boat in complete disrepair that has to be towed into port or else it's going to sink to the bottom of the lake in five minutes. What it normally is, is it is a very impressive looking boat that has sprung a couple of leaks, but what can happen is a seasoned, trained crew can fix the leaks as they're out over the open water. I had a coaching buddy put it to me that way the other day. He said, everyone thinks that what a rebuild is, is completely taking it into port and putting it out of commission for six months and hammering away and sawing away, and then you take it back out. That's not the way it works because they make you play a season every year. They make you play a game every seven days or every 14 days, maybe if you're lucky enough to have a bye week, but also by the benefit of having the immense resources that a Florida has or an LSU has, you have probably built a product, even with a coach that you just fired, that's good enough to stay afloat. If you bring the right crew in to repair it, they'll be able to do it even out over the open water. So Hugh, you asked, when is a complete overhaul necessary? From a staffing perspective, the answer is now. From a program perspective, the answer is I don't think a complete overhaul is necessary. Florida is not a disaster. It's just that Florida is not good enough right now to maintain status quo. But once you get the right staff in there, if, let's say it that way, if you get the right staff in there, that's not a complete ground up rebuild. It's not a complete overhaul. It, it never should be. Next up, here's one that's interesting. I've heard this expressed a few times in a variety of different ways. The question is, what can I do to help make college game day 24-7 style come to fruition? And that is essentially asking, will we ever have a morning, a Saturday morning, you know, pregame show like game day or, or the Fox pregame show? And the answer is maybe. 
I can tell you it's been talked about. Can't go much further than that because that is probably violating my contract, but it has been talked about. Now, it's been talked about on two fronts. To be clear, the question here was not about late kick. The question here was about 24-7. And I make much more direct decisions regarding late kick than I do the overall operational standards of 24-7. Having said that, immediately after I get done recording this, I will then hop into a Zoom meeting that is about operational standards for 24-7 sports. But I won't do a lot of talking. I'll sit over there on mute, and then they'll call on me, and I'll say, ugh. And I'll unmute myself, and I'll say, I'm good. And then I'll go back on mute and complain. But look, here's what's been talked about. I can tell you as much as I possibly can here, and I don't know, Producer Jordan, maybe you'll have to edit this out. But I would suggest you don't do it. Don't let hashtag them get to you, Jordan. Be one of hashtag us, not one of hashtag them. And so here's what I can tell you. What I can tell you is there are some new things that are in the developmental stage here that very, very soon you will see. So I would say we're about to roll that off the assembly line. Now, part of these, uh, for lack of a much more fancy term, things will be the opportunity for some new ideas, some new creative ideas, some new shows, some new programming. And it has been discussed very much in the exploratory phase, having a Saturday morning pregame show, kind of like you see with College Game Day. Now that is a lot more easier to execute. All you really need is a place to broadcast it from and the technical ability to broadcast it and the equipment to broadcast it and of course the distribution channels. We have all those. So we could do that tomorrow theoretically. So yes, to answer the question, that has been discussed. It's not gonna start next week, but it has been discussed. But I can also tell you on my front, it would be a little bit harder to execute, but we've also talked about altering next year's plan. So the Renaissance Tour this year has been great. It's been wonderful, but it's been very much a trial phase sort of thing. I've never done it where I've branded it and where I've been on the road all 12 weeks. Actually, I have before, but it hasn't been at the national level. So as many of you guys know, because I've talked to you about it in person, the current way I do it, like the way I'll do it this weekend, we're headed to Waco. I won't fly out of here until Friday and I'll get over there. I'm going to fly into Dallas. I'm going to drive down to Waco. And so we'll be there Friday night. We, 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 even though I'm flying solo, it is still we, we are still traveling unless the federal government asks, in which case it is very much I on that plane for legal reasons. And I'll get there Friday night and we'll go to the game and I'll be out of there by probably 7.30 in the air on the way back to Nashville. So I'm there for the game and I interact with a lot of you guys, but there's no specific event that we're having. Well, I think, and a lot of people here think, and certain advertisers think we could change that. This time next year, it could be that here we are Thursday, I'm recording, as soon as I do this, I'll hop on a plane, come to your town, and then Thursday night and or Friday night, we're having events for listeners, we're having events for you guys, we're having, well, quite frankly, I don't know, because before I ever came up with a finalized plan, I would get your input, so you would probably have better ideas than I'd have. Point being, there are a lot of things here that are in the trial phase, I even consider the Renaissance Tour in its trial phase, that will look a whole lot different even this time, 12 months from now. So hang in there, hang tight. There are things coming that you don't see yet. All right, Iceborg is up next. Uh, not sure it's a legal name, but it's still a very pretty name. Parents should be proud nonetheless. Iceborg asks, what would it take for a Texas A&M team to make the playoff? Well, you know what? Let's dive into this together. I just pulled up the playoff rankings, and here's what's funny about that. It also is side-by-side -side with the AP rankings, and that makes this the first time this week I have looked at the AP rankings. How about that? I still see you guys. 
Still got Cincinnati at number two. You know what? God bless you. God bless Cincinnati. I got nothing against Cincinnati. I once saw the Eagles live in Cincinnati, not the football team. I got nothing against them. So anyway, let's take a look at the playoff rankings right now. Texas A&M, let's start because that's who the question's about. They are at number 11. Okay, so already they're the highest ranked two-loss team. They're at number 11. You've got uh, Georgia and Bama at 1-2. So I think the first thing that A&M would need is they need Georgia to just win out because that inevitably means Bama is, I don't think it means Bama's in the playoffs. Some of you think a two-loss Bama's going to go. I think a lot of chaos would have to happen for that. So let's say path number one for A&M. They need Georgia to win out. That knocks Alabama out. Uh, They probably just need Oregon to lose a game out there. Pull for Utah would be my suggestion. That's probably the best shot. And Oregon may have to play them twice. And so that would take out Oregon. I would also pull for Ohio State. Because while that means the Buckeyes would absolutely be in there with Georgia, that's only two guaranteed spots. But it would also, in the process, knock Michigan out of your way, knock Michigan State out of your way. I think that you would flat out make it in if you won out over a one-loss Notre Dame. So I don't even think you have to worry about Notre Dame as long as you win your games. So if we assume Georgia wins out, and if we assume Ohio State wins out, and of course we have to assume, for this matter, Texas A&M wins out, Currently, we got Georgia and Ohio State locked into the playoff. We've knocked Oregon out of your way. We've knocked Michigan, Michigan State out of your way. Oklahoma's at number eight. Let's have them win out. That's going to put the Sooners, I think, as the third locked team in the playoff. And for Oklahoma to win out, it means they beat one of the teams in front of you, Oklahoma State. So they're out of the way. And so now we've got three teams locked in. We've got Georgia, we've got Ohio State, and we've got Oklahoma. The only two teams remaining in front of you at that point are Notre Dame at one loss and Cincinnati undefeated. Of course, it would be best for you if Cincinnati just lost a game, but I've got to be real. I think it's possible if you were to go the rest of the way and you win the SEC championship, I think a two-loss SEC champion, Texas A&M, with a win over Alabama, for example, and a win over Auburn and a win over, if they beat Ole Miss this weekend, a top 20 Ole Miss team. I think they'd be in over a one-loss Notre Dame, and I think they'd be in over an undefeated Cincinnati. And so that's what you have to have happen. You got Georgia winning out. You got Oregon losing a game. uh, You got Ohio State winning out. Cincy, I think, can just be who they are, but it would help you if they lost a game. Uh, Michigan's taken care of. Michigan State's taken care of. Oklahoma wins out. Oklahoma State's taken care of. Notre Dame, I think you're in over them. So there is a path there. And all that really included were were just favorites winning. That's all that really included. Up until you get to Atlanta, at which point you need to beat Georgia. Now, that's the hard part. I think the one thing I messed up there is I said Georgia would need to beat Alabama in the SEC title game. No, Auburn would need to beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl to get Bama out of the way so you could go to Atlanta. So that's probably the toughest hurdle. Because everything else I mentioned, that is just a favorite winning a football game. Auburn won't be favored over Alabama, although they have beaten Bama the last two times they played in Jordan-Hare Stadium. Or maybe Arkansas beats them out of nowhere, and then it's a moot point. So that's what would have to happen. It's a long shot, but it's not impossible, and I think there's a lot of chaos still left to happen. Also, here's what could happen, too. I didn't even mention this. What happens, and this isn't your question, but I'm just going to go down this road for a second. We're close to Big Ten chaos. I don't know if you guys realize that. Ohio State is wobbly at the moment, but they're still a one-loss team. What if Ohio State loses? What if they just lose? Not even this weekend. What if Ohio State, I'm going to pull up the remainder of their schedule right now. They've still got to play number seven, Michigan State. They've still got to play number six, Michigan. 
what happens if the Buckeyes lose one of those games? Because in order, the rest of the way, they play Purdue this weekend, they've got Michigan State next week, and then they go to Michigan to end the season. If they lose one of those games, they're probably out, probably. I don't know what the definite is out there. They're probably out. But also, who does it put in? Because I would imagine if Michigan State or Michigan beat them, certainly if Michigan were to run the table the rest of the way and beat Ohio State, they'd be in. But look, Michigan is right around a pick em this week, maybe even a one-point favorite at Penn State. What if Michigan loses and then beats Ohio State at the end of the year? My point is, there is a bumper car scenario where everyone takes everyone out in the Big Ten. And I talked about that a month ago and people thought I was crazy. No, the moment that Oregon beat Ohio State, this was in play for the playoffs purposes. This was in play. So I know this question started with Texas A&M, but it ended up with Ooh, what could happen in the Big Ten. That could clear out a lot of brush for a Cincinnati, for example. I just let me go to a third point that you didn't ask about. I think the Cincinnati path is still there. This is just another example. This whole Big Ten chaos scenario, it's another example. And while people may look at Cincinnati right now at number five, I think they're at, say, well, their strength of schedule is not going to be able to elevate them anymore. They could be right where they need to be. It could be they don't need to help themselves anymore. It could simply be that there's going to be brush ahead of them cleared out. That is always the path for a G5 team to begin with. And I'll tell you what our path does. It takes us right into this, and I'll be right back. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I got you with that. I mean, I know I got you. Just be real. Just nod your head yes. You had no idea that ad read was coming. And I think we're all better for it. I think we all learned a lesson from that. All right, let's roll on here. What is your favorite college football recruitment of all time? Uh, that's got to be Reuben Foster for me. I was down in Columbus, Georgia, 
And so Reuben Foster, who ended up playing linebacker at Alabama, famously with an Auburn tattoo on his arm. Reuben Foster initially played high school football in Troop County, which is about 30 minutes north of Columbus, about 30 minutes or so south of Atlanta. It's a little bit closer to Columbus. But anyway, he's playing in Troop. Then he transfers to Auburn High School. And I want to say he was already either committed to Alabama or a heavy Alabama lean, maybe. I can't remember exactly how that happened, but Alabama was thought to be the leader. And he's a five-star linebacker. His film was hellacious. His film still is some of the most violent slash most incredible high school film I've ever seen. If you've never seen Reuben Foster, just do yourself a favor. Make sure no one's looking at work because you may get in trouble for watching it. Pull up Reuben Foster High School highlights. Just pull it up on Huddle or YouTube or whatever. Just a complete and total assassin. People were intimidated to play him. I remember seeing him play, and it was one of the only kids I ever saw that you could tell even on the surface, was mentally impacting the opposing team. One of the only times I've ever seen that. And I've covered some big football down in Georgia. So anyway, Reuben Foster, he transfers over to Auburn High School. And so there was this thought in the Alabama community of one, oh, it doesn't matter, Saban got this. Or the second is, well, you never know, they're desperate down there at Auburn. It would be huge, huge feather in their cap if the Auburn Tigers were to pick up Reuben Foster. So then in July of 2012, there was huge breaking news. Reuben Foster decommits from Bama, flips to Auburn. And this is back in 2012, and so it's coming off of Auburn's national championship year two years before. And then Auburn had, they've sunk down to like a four-loss team in 2011, but there's hope that they can right the ship. They just got to get the right kids in the fold. And so Gene Chiswick, still head coach at the time for a few more months, as it turned out, he gets Reuben Foster to flip. Foster's getting the Auburn tattoo on the arm. He's saying he's 100% committed, best place for me and my family. You know the whole deal. And so you go through the entirety of fall, and Bama's still putting together a really good class, but there's just this thing that's gnawing at him. Reuben Foster, there's the commitment to Auburn, but there's always a whisper. At every Cracker Barrel and every gas station in town, there's a whisper. You know, Foster, that we may not be out of it with him. And I was hearing it because I'm right down there on the Chattahoochee River, so... I'm close to both programs, and I'm hearing that, and then signing day gets closer, and there are rumors, and it's the best kind, because it adds some suspense and intrigue to signing day, but also, no one on the outside can understand it. This is where you can't be a casual. You got to understand how cutthroat SEC recruiting is to understand that not even getting the logo of the team you're currently committed to tattooed on your body is enough to keep you committed at the 11th hour. Things just get crazy. So Reuben Foster, best I recall, he was on a visit. This is crazy now. He was on a visit at Auburn. And there were some things that happened. And I don't want to rehash this. Those of you who are close to it, you know. Auburn fans, Alabama fans, you probably remember this. There was an incident with a player already on Auburn's roster and Reuben Foster. And there were already rumors that Foster was going to decommit, but it hadn't happened yet. And so I am, I am hawking the message boards on this particular night. Because we were getting close to signing day. I mean, I love recruiting. And so we're getting close to signing day. This is the hottest rumor in recruiting. So I'm hawking the message boards. So Foster is in town. He's in Auburn. I mean, at the beginning of this night, he is in Auburn. Something goes sideways with one of the kids at Auburn. I believe the initials there were RD. And so something goes sideways. You can fill in the blanks. And Reuben Foster bounces. He says, see ya. And he leaves Auburn. About two and a half hours later, he's in Tuscaloosa. This is all happening in one night, by the way, not one weekend, one evening. He's in Tuscaloosa. And then the rumors really start to fly 
that Reuben Foster is going to flip to Alabama. And sure enough, when signing day arrived, not only does he flip to Alabama, I want to say he signed his letter of intent wearing a straw hat in Auburn High School with an Alabama logo on it. That was one of my favorite recruitments to follow because it really encapsulated what that rivalry had become. You got to understand now, psychologically, Auburn watches Saban come in. He wins the title in 2009. Then you've got the Cam Newton 2010 year, and Bama fans have to watch Cam Newton and Auburn come from, I think, 24-7 down or something like that. I was at the game. They come from behind. They beat Alabama. Then 2011, things start to go sideways for Auburn, but then it looks like they're going to rectify it in part by poaching some of Alabama's class. Oh, by the way, a guy by the name of Harvey Updike comes along sometime in this span in 2011, poisons the tumor's corner oaks. They die. And so you've got this, this thickness of hatred and disdain, even within one of the most passionate rivalries in college football, the likes of which you've never seen. And this kid waltzes into that environment and plays basically ping pong and goes back and forth and then back again between both programs. I cannot emphasize enough what that did to the heartstrings of fully grown adult males everywhere from Muscle Shoals or Mushoals, as the locals would call it, Mushoals to Mobile and everywhere in between. It was a very, very intense time, to say the least, a very intense time in that rivalry. That's one of my favorite recruitments. Uh, hey, make sure to do me one favor, please. Just one favor. It's all I ask of you. Actually, it's like three of them. So make sure you leave a five-star review for the podcast. That helps. Make sure you are subscribed to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. These are all free. And make sure you are following on Twitter and Instagram at LateKickJosh. Again, all free, all free. Registered, copyright, patent that. So uh, if you do that, then we've all had a good day. So thank you so much for listening, sharing the show. It means the world to us. It means the world to me personally. I got to get out of here. I got to head to the aforementioned operational standards meeting here at 24-7. So wish me luck. I'm about to pop a can of caffeine open so I don't fall asleep in this thing. You guys have a great rest of your Thursday. I'll see you on Late Kick Live later tonight. And God bless. CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.